0: So Dale, I don't know how much you know about therapy, but it usually starts by you telling me a little something about yourself. I thought there'd be couches and Kleenex and shit. Look at me, son. It's not your fault.
1: Do you want to talk about some of those feelings? I love you. Obviously, you don't know
2: me. So how is this supposed to work? You sit, I sit, we talk.
3: Hi, I'm Dr. Sam. And I'm Dr. Fran. Welcome to Freudian
2: Scripts the podcast where we put your favorite tv shows and movies on the hypothetical couch and take a
3: deeper dive into the way psychology is portrayed we analyze the way therapy looks in entertainment discuss the way psychological diagnoses are portrayed and break down other psychological themes seen on our screens
2: as a reminder freudian scripts is for informational and educational purposes only please consult your mental health professional with any questions and seek care if needed The content and clips in today's session will contain explicit language and mature and adult themes, including sex and related topics.
3: Thanks so much for joining us today. We're going to be covering a new TV show.
0: Sophomore year is going to be our year. You look
3: like an Indian Kardashian. I want to talk about a major event
0: that could happen. Popping my cherry, dog. Oh, Lord. We are smart, and idiots are banging all the time. We can learn how to do it, too.
3: Word of advice, just give up.
0: Oh, yeah? I won't be able to walk again tomorrow because I'm about to go get railed. Peace out, virgin. You
2: just seem
0: lost. <laughs> and I'm not lost. A dick
1: are we allowed to say dick now?
0: i just want to be a normal teenager normal teenagers end up in prison or worse working in jersey Mike's. you're a weird girl <laughs> yes yes i am Cheers. buckle up for some steamy
2: teen romance <laughs> So, as you can tell, we're going to be putting Netflix Never Have I Ever on our couch this week. Um, We decided to pick Never Have I Ever for today's session for a few different reasons. So, one, it's a pretty new, popular show. And actually, fun fact, it was just renewed for its second season. So, look out for that. Yay! (laughs) Um, And also, you know, it covers some really interesting and unique topics and diagnoses that we haven't had a chance to cover yet on the podcast.
3: Exactly. Along those lines, as you know, Dr. Fran and I specialize in working with adolescents. And so we're always very interested in the portrayal of adolescent mental health and therapy with teens. Um, and I think it's like an interesting uh, cross-section of a lot of our varying interests, mm-hmm. which is really exciting. And lastly, we wanted to discuss Never Have I Ever today in honor of minority BIPOC Mental Health Awareness Month, which is July. Um, So I want to give a quick disclaimer about the language and different terms that we'll be using during today's episode. As you may know, and as we'll discuss a bit today, this is an area of research that is constantly evolving. So we'll do our best to use the most updated inclusive terms, but just want to kind of put that out there that there might be other terms or even terms that individuals prefer. And we're always open to learning as well. And generally, something that's really important to both Dr. Fran and I, we're Wanting to discuss the disparities in mental health in underrepresented groups to bring awareness to those and also hopefully help to close those gaps in mental health care.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think there's a lot of really important um, research that's being disseminated a little bit more. We're seeing a lot more on, like, social media and the news and being disseminated more broadly in the public, especially related to mental health and disparities within the black community. So it's obviously super important work, and we're really glad that's being shared more. Uh, Another group we did want to cover, though, through the lens of Never Have I Ever is um, South Asian Americans and, more specifically, Indian Americans. Um, So this is a population that we'll obviously be discussing Um, through Davey's character and through some of the other characters in the show. And then also, this is our first portrayal that we'll be covering of a black therapist. So we're really excited to cover that today.
3: Yeah, so as we've alluded, a lot of awesome things to get into. So let's start off learning a little bit about Never Have I Ever. It is a Netflix original series created by Mindy Kaling, and it follows an American Indian teenager, Davey Vishwakumar. She's a 15-year-old girl from Sherman Oaks, California. And in Never Have I Ever, early on, we see that her father dies and Davy struggles to cope with the loss. The show really follows her and her friends as they're beginning their sophomore year of high school and kind of hoping to shed some of their history and become more popular this year. Um, I think the overall focus of the show is really on Davy, her relationships with her family and friends, trying to deal with the loss of her father, as well as her romantic interests.
2: Yeah, and so as Dr. Sam mentioned, we do see early on in the show that Davey tragically loses her father. And after her father's death, she you know, spontaneously loses the use of her legs for three months. Um, and we see that she uses a wheelchair for mobility. And you guys, are listeners are very lucky because Dr. Sam actually has some experience that not a lot of providers have with what we call conversion disorder. So Dr. Sam, can you tell us a little bit more about what that is?
3: Yeah, that's right. So working in pediatric hospitals, I do have experience working with individuals with conversion disorder. And so conversion disorder or functional neurological symptom disorder is a change in motor or sensory functioning. So that's kind of what it sounds like, really. We have these changes in like our motor abilities or sensory. So, you know, like seeing, hearing, uh, smelling, and this is really a change in the function, so not the structure. I've heard this explained sometimes as um, having a change in the software, so not the hardware. And what this really means is that there might not be a change in the structure of the brain, but there is a change in how the brain is operating and what your body is doing. And with Davy, we really see this manifest or come out as her losing the ability to walk and having paralysis.
0: Davy's legs stop working. <laughs> There was no medical reason why, but they were definitely not working. And now she was in a wheelchair.
1: Just because Davy is confined to a wheelchair does not make her any less human. And as far as we know, it's not contagious.
2: Yeah, and kinda like the I like the software hardware analogy, because with Davy, you know, it's not necessarily explained by a medical condition her paralysis, but what are some other ways that conversion disorder might present? Is this like the only way that it could look?
3: Yeah, you're exactly right there Dr. Franz. So We don't hear Davy's doctors talk about this necessarily, but we do believe it's not due to an injury or disease. So, really, we're under the impression that it is a result of this miscommunication between the nervous system and the body, like I mentioned. And in Davy, we see her have paralysis symptoms, but this can look different ways for different people. So, you can see weakness or paralysis. You can see people um, develop abnormal movements, so tremors or difficulty walking. People can have uh, seizure like episodes or loss of consciousness, and even having like numbness, vision problems and hearing problems. So there really is a diverse range of how this conversion disorder can present in individuals. I do want to highlight one important thing with conversion disorder is the symptoms are not intentionally produced or controlled. So what that means is that the person is not faking or creating these difficulties voluntarily and actually adolescents with conversion disorder may be distressed about these symptoms and they really interfere with their daily functioning their daily life so like with Davy, we see that she's using a wheelchair at school she's even getting bullied maybe she's not able to do the typical activities that she would usually do and we
2: also see with Davy that the onset seems to coincide with the loss of her father this really traumatic event is mm-hmm. that a common way that conversion disorder might come about
3: So we can definitely see that conversion disorder can be associated with stressful life events. So for Davy, her dad's death. And in the literature, we do know that about two-thirds of individuals with conversion disorder have evidence of a coexisting another psychiatric condition, so anxiety, depression, but also trauma. So this is not necessarily a part of the diagnosis. It's not needed. It's not something we see in everyone, but it can be connected to each other. I think kind of along those lines, this is something that we don't see very often, something that people don't really understand, um, and like I mentioned, sometimes people might even think that it's like fake or voluntary, so there can be stigma associated with this diagnosis um, because people really do perceive it as being like self-caused, and we even see this unfortunately with Davey.
2: Yeah, we see Ben, who is pretty yeah. harsh and critical. He calls her a psycho at one point. Um, he says that her, she's faking it. Um, so, you know, pretty harsh critical language around making assumptions about what's going on with her. Davy, the only person you're seeing is your therapist because you went straight up psycho. You can
3: walk for three months. Definitely. And unfortunately, I don't think that that is uncommon, especially um, in children or adolescents who experience these kind of symptoms. Um, People maybe not believing them or feeling unheard or people just not understanding or feeling like they um, are making it up.
2: Do you know that when you can't use your legs for no medical reason, it's called psychosomatic, which... My dad says means fake. Mm-hmm. And like Dr. Sam alluded to, this is a really rare disorder, especially in younger children. So it makes sense. People don't have a lot of experience with it. They don't know a lot of people who have it, who've had it before, things like that. Um, and it is more common in adolescence and early adulthood. About 1% to 2% um, in children in inpatient hospital settings and about 5 to 6% of children in neurological clinics have
3: conversion disorder. So again, pretty rare condition. Yes, and we are more likely, uh, consistent with what we see in Never Have I Ever, we are more likely to see it diagnosed in females, so two to three times more common in females. Um, And I think you made a really good point about people not understanding it. Um, I think we see that even with Davy's mom. You know, she's kind of on edge or nervous about um, upsetting Davy or something happening that's going to lose Davy's ability to Mm -hmm. walk. Like, there's one point where their uh, emotions are high, and she kind of, like, pokes at her legs, like, oh, are you okay? (laughs) Like, you know, you can see Mm -hmm. she's, like, kind of nervous and maybe doesn't fully understand (laughs) of the diagnosis, um, which is actually a really important part of the treatment for conversion disorder. So um, in treating conversion disorder, uh, I think that in Never Have I Ever, we do get to see like portrayal of a diagnosis that we don't often see in TV, which is pretty cool, um, but we don't get to see the treatment. So psychoeducation around the diagnosis is really important. So having people kind of understand what this is. Um, And then cognitive behavioral therapy, so really focused on relaxation and then re reframing thoughts, um, uh, maladaptive thoughts or negative thoughts that the individuals might be having. And then the biggest part of treatment for people with conversion disorder is taking a functional rehabilitation approach. And what this really means is encouraging the individual to really focus on independent um, management of their symptoms and increasing their activity. So making sure that they're encouraged to do their typical levels of activity. So with Davey, going to school, hanging out with her friends, still doing those kind of things, and then decreasing the focus and intention on the symptoms. Um, So those are the main parts of, or the main ways that we would work on a treatment plan for someone with conversion disorder.
2: So are you saying that seeing um, hot Paxton (laughs) is not the way that you would typically cure conversion disorder?
0: Paxton Hall Yoshida. The hottest guy at Sherman Oaks High. And as it turned out, three months after Davy's paralysis set in, Paxton's chiseled face actually worked a miracle. (laughs) Just like that, she could walk again.
3: (laughs) Definitely not typical. I mean... I guess in Davy's case, it is a very um, motivating distraction. Um, So definitely decreasing her focus maybe on the other symptoms and increasing her attention on uh, Paxton. Um, And in what I have read regarding conversion disorder, uh, there can be times where symptoms do seem to fade spontaneously. Um, And in particular, when the symptoms are um, a little more severe, so like paralysis or blindness, things that might be a little bit more difficult to manage or... um, uh, main, those are difficult to maintain for a longer duration, so we can see that those um, resolve more spontaneously at times. Um, but again, I don't think it is typical, <laughs> as we see in Davy's case, that her symptoms just 100% resolve um, because she sees uh, what who she perceives to be a very hot Paxton. <laughs> And so I thought it was cool that we get this presentation of conversion disorder on the show. And relatedly, you know, another main theme that we see is grief.
2: Yeah, and specifically with Davey, we see traumatic grief. So not only has she lost her father, but it was in this very traumatic or difficult way. Um, And this is a really unique way to think about grief because it's a little bit more complicated. And we see, you know, we've covered already in the podcast a lot about trauma and different treatments and symptoms and things like that, but this adds a different element to it because you've also got that loss or that bereavement process as well. Um, So in addition to kind of that typical grief process that we might normally see, We also have things that would look more similar to PTSD, like intrusive memories, avoidance, increased arousal, things like that.
3: And Dr. Fran, just for clarification, when you say bereavement, what does that mean?
2: So bereavement is just kind of the big word for losing a loved one to death. Um, And that's kind of the clinical or, like, research term that we'll use.
3: Okay, great. Just wanted to make sure I was on the right track. Um, And I really like how you clarified, like, you know, this difference between just grief and traumatic grief. Um, And one of the things I really liked about the portrayal of Davy was kind of um, the way they really showed some of the symptoms or some of the things that she was struggling with.
2: Yeah, we kind of talked about before that she's almost has like classic symptoms of some of these like PTSD or traumatic grief symptoms. So we see she's very emotionally reactive, has that like irritability component. She's very angry, um, and at different points with her friends or you know can be very reactive in those relationships.
3: Yeah, I think specifically, and I know we'll, one of the things we're going to touch on today is discuss the therapy that is shown in Never Have I Ever, Um, but I think a really like kind of like a highlight of that point is when even her therapist or other people, her family, her friends are trying to get her to discuss like the troubles that she's having or, you know, her sadness related to losing her dad, she really kind of shuts down and instead just presents with like anger towards them and like really is like pushing people away almost.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then we also see her have flashbacks, for example, like at band practice, she starts to go play the harp, and it reminds her of the way that her dad had a heart attack in the middle of her recital, Um, and then she's very avoidant of things that remind her not only of her dad, but also of the way he died, so again, band, um, you know, other things like that that remind her of her father, she really tries to avoid, and that's another interesting, unique differentiation between grief and traumatic grief and PTSD is we have not only trauma reminders, so things that remind her of the trauma, but loss reminders, which is the reminders that come up just that you've lost that person. So a loss reminder, for example, is like her going into the garden that her and her dad used to grow together. That's not associated with the way he died, but it's associated with kind of that hurt and loss that she associates with not having her dad there anymore, or like seeing his chair that he always used to sit in. So those would be loss reminders. They oftentimes can have like negative feelings or sadness associated with them, but also can have like positive reminiscing or positive memories associated with them. You're usually not going to see positive associations with the trauma reminders on the other hand
3: that's a really interesting difference that you're discussing there i think we definitely see that you know i think the harp is a good example of maybe a trauma reminder because she was playing the harp when it happened and it's something that she's avoiding whereas Mm -hmm. then like her dad's like moped or the garden like you Mm -hmm. talked about those are things that seem to more like um upset her but that she kind of comes to terms with later whereas the harp is a little bit more of a challenge it looks like in the show
2: Right and we even see mom for example like rides the moped eventually because it helps her feel more connected to dad. So kind of the loss reminders that you know in therapy we might capitalize on those and see like are there ways we can use these to help
3: feel you you feel connected to the person you lost um, versus trauma reminders. One of the things I also thought was interesting and in never have I ever kind of related to these reminders and the flashbacks that we see is I thought the show did a nice job of kind of building on the story so in moments where Davy's maybe having difficulties. And then we'll also, like, she might have one of these reminders and we'll see the flash. Um, and so we'll kind of see her uh, last encounter, or the last kind of moments that she had with her dad. And even that memory in itself is like a negative one. Mm-hmm. And we kind of slowly, like, learn the truth of what happened that night. Um, so I thought that the show did a nice job of kind of folding in these symptoms so that we could better understand what Davy was going through, but also doing it in the interesting storytelling kind of way. <laughs>
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I agree. I like the way this was portrayed and especially thinking about how we see these symptoms. And of course, her friends or even her therapist or her mom are seeing just that emotional reactivity and that irritability and that anger. But really, obviously, what's underneath is a lot of hurt and trauma and
3: avoidance and not really not wanting to
2: feel those, which the therapist definitely picks up on. <laughs> yes,
3: everyone else not so much. And I think that was one of the things that was the most heartbreaking is that Davy and her mother, you know, they're they're both going through this traumatic loss and they're both sad Um, but really maybe the way that they're coping with it um, is really pulling them apart instead of having them come together to kind of lean on each other or process and go through it um, together and I always thought that that was like really sad throughout the show and Mm -hmm. you know obviously perhaps there's a shift at the end but I guess we'll have to wait and see in season two and so like we've kind of alluded to
2: in never ever ever we do have um, a therapist portrayal and while it's not explicitly stated it seems like it is related to the trauma and grief that davy has in relation to her father they don't spend a lot of time talking about the conversion disorder piece like dr sam
3: mentioned but they do try to work on the grief and trauma <laughs> yes i believe they maybe don't go into the conversion disorder too much because it seems like paxton uh, quote unquote cured that for davy right of um. course of course <laughs> Yeah, Uh, But I'm really excited to talk about Dr. Jamie Ryan and the portrayal of Never Have I Ever today. So one of the reasons I think I'm excited to discuss it is because I think it gives a nice, more realistic example of what therapy um, for a teenager might look like. So I think one of the things Dr. Fran and I have chatted about before in the past is that um, when teenagers come to see us, sometimes, or even children or young adults, um, it's not always their decision to come and see us, or maybe it's been recommended, or their parents really want them to come. So there can be some hesitation, or maybe they're just not so excited. Um, And as we've discussed before, the way that therapy is portrayed in the media isn't always the most positive. So I really liked how in this show, it does seem just more casual. You know, the therapist isn't like scary or super stiff. She's very relatable. um, And her and Davy really do just have kind of conversations, um, and Davy seems to enjoy it and find it beneficial. So I think it's really nice portrayal, and I think it's really nice for other teens to see on TV.
2: Yeah, of course. And then we've also got some challenges that sometimes come up in the relationship, <laughs> which can be reflective of what we sometimes see in the therapy room with adolescents. A lot of boundary yeah. testing.
3: <laughs> yes, we definitely can see that. And um, I know we'll discuss this a little further, but with Davy, you know, one of the things I think there's some excitement. We see that when something happens, Davy does want to run and go see her therapist. Um, so there's definitely you know some boundaries about when people come and visit, what are your hours, um, your availability, um and some other kind of teenage themes. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
2: Yeah, and I think kind of brings up the broader, um, you know, balance of wanting to have that like humor, that casualness that helps, you know, build rapport and make the teenager feel more comfortable, but then also wanting to make sure that doesn't shift too far into I'm your friend and you can come to my, you know, office at any hour and ask me for alcohol or (laughs) different things like that.
3: Yeah, I would not recommend that. (laughs) Um, But you're right, Dr. Fan, it is a balance, right? Like having this like positive rapport, positive working, relationship where you can get that benefit, um, but without it becoming um, too friendly in maybe a counterproductive way. Um, And then I think one of the other main themes we see, and Dr. Fran and I do see this in the therapy room as well, is just some avoidance. So sometimes things that you're there to talk about in therapy, they're not fun, they're not pleasant, and they're difficult. And so there can be some avoidance related to working on goals or discussing difficult things. And in Davy's instance, you know, she doesn't really appear ready to process her grief and her trauma.
2: Mm -hmm. And I think this is especially comes
3: up with adolescents and
2: children because, you know, if someone's not really wanting to talk about it, they're probably not going to bring themselves to therapy. But if their parent (laughs) thinks that they need to talk about it or, um, you know, is really pressuring them or saying you have to go see this therapist, then you might have someone showing up in your office who is really just there because their parents making them and they really don't want to talk about kind of the big thing that they're supposed to be talking about.
3: Yes. And this kind of reminds me almost back to our first episode um, when we talked about with uh, Goodwill Hunting, how Will just kind of sits in silence um, mm-hmm. for that whole like session. I feel like that's something that you might see from adolescence at times or, yeah. you know, that's a more um, maybe a stronger version of avoidance, just not talking at all. I think Davy she uses more of the tactic of like, let's just talk about other things or let's talk about things that I want to talk about or that are fun or kind of more like her um, – uh, almost what's happening like in the present moment Mm -hmm. that is causing her to have certain feelings
2: (laughs) right and those things actually are stressful to her right she's having you know we see throughout the show she has different difficulties with her friends or different things like that that come up and so those things do are really important for her at that moment
3: That's one of the things I actually really like about Dr. Ryan's approach. I think that she does a nice job like that we see in some of the sessions um, related to Davey's avoidance is kind of when Davey is trying to avoid or backtrack or kind of move around topics of conversation, she might even highlight like, oh, is this something that's difficult for you? Um, Like when she has the fight with her friends that you mentioned, like, is this difficult because the loss of your friends is maybe reminding you of the loss of your father? Um, And then as we discuss, like Davey often uh, responds with irritability related to these things because she doesn't really want to get into it
2: there's actually a good example of that when um, dr ryan tries to call out davy for being pretty avoidant and talking about some of these other topics
1: davy the reason i was enlisted by your doctors and your mother is to delve into some of the major events that have happened in your life over this last year Now we've been seeing each other for months and you still don't want to talk about your father.
0: What's there to talk about? He's dead. It made me sad. Now I want to talk about a major event that could happen this week. Popping my cherry, Doc! Oh, Lord. The statistical odds that I would lose my virginity to somebody that hot are incredibly low. I ran the numbers with Fabiola. I have a better chance of being hit by a meteor.
1: I know. I got your Excel spreadsheet.
0: We could talk about my dead dad any time. I'm in a very specific window right now. I'm ready to bone.
1: If you were ready to bone, you wouldn't use the phrase, ready to bone. And what's so special about this boy anyway? (laughs) Uh,
0: This, you can scroll. I'm not gonna scroll. Trust me, scroll.
1: I'm not, damn. Uh, Is this kid on HGH? I know, right? Point made. (laughs) But he is still a person with feelings and problems.
0: (laughs) Hot people don't have problems. I mean, I've seen the people in your waiting room.
1: No offense,
0: but they're mostly uggos.
1: Uh, I do take offense to that. But forget about Paxton. And your current mental state, losing your virginity to someone you barely know and who probably doesn't care about you... Is a great idea that you fully support? (laughs) You know that's not where I was going with that. Nice
2: try. So definitely a good example of Davey pushing boundaries and uh, avoiding in that in that uh, clip.
3: Yeah, I, I think that this is also a nice example of Dr. Ryan like continuing to try to give Davey recommendations, right? She's kind of warning her or getting her to um, give a little more thought about whether or not she's ready to have sex. <laughs> and then also, you know, trying to be relatable and fun at the same time.
2: Yeah, and I think that she does a really nice job of that throughout the season is just trying to find that balance of being still very clear of like, I don't think this is the right thing for you or here's some other things to think about, but also peppering in that humor to make her more relatable and probably for Davey to be more likely to listen to her.
3: I think so. I think she challenges Davy. You know, she, she uses humor, but she still will challenge Davy. You know, Davy may not be ready, but she kind of tests or she kind of introduces things to kind of measure where Davy's at and kind of guide her as best she can when Davy's kind of, you know, swerving this way or that way. I think we have another really good example of some other avoidance tactics that Davy uses.
0: So I'm going to my first party. Well, that should be fun. Which brings me to my question. Do you mind going to the store and buying me a thong? What? My mom won't buy them for me. Just like a simple red lace thong with a rhinestone phrase on the front that says do me. I
1: will not be buying you a turkey ass thong. Fine. I'll just cut the cheeks (laughs) out of my normal underwear.
3: Whatever. So in that clip, we see a couple of examples of Davies trying to avoid, you know, she asked Dr. Ryan to buy her thong, she asked Dr. Ryan to give her alcohol. So
0: if you're not going to buy me a thong, do you have any alcohol in here that I could take to the party?
1: Out.
3: This is also, you know, a good example of Dr. Ryan trying to set those boundaries. She very appropriately rejects both of those ideas. (laughs) But we also see some really uh, good techniques and tactics in this clip as well. What matters is, is that
0: life is good now, and I can basically forget about all that bad stuff that happened before.
1: Well, forgetting is not the goal. We're trying to process all that's happened to you, especially losing your father.
0: I am processing. In fact, I talked to my dad the other night. Okay, uh, you use the grief journal. No, he came to me as a coyote. Excuse me? Are you gonna be weird about this? Because if you are, I'm not gonna talk about it. You know, this is a safe space. Go ahead. Okay, well, the other night, there was a coyote in my backyard, and it was legit my dad. He was in my dad's garden, picked up my dad's tennis ball, plus his
1: eyes. It was just him. That is a beautiful thing, hmm? And going forward, you might see your dad as a butterfly or a bird or a gentle breeze or... No,
0: Dr. Ryan, I didn't see him metaphorically with my heart or some shit. My eyes saw my father's soul in the body of a coyote.
1: Okay, well, if you see that coyote again, I want you to talk to him. Tell him what you're feeling, hmm?
2: I will. Good girl. Yeah, I really love what Dr. Ryan says about the goal is not to forget, we're supposed to process it. I think that's a really common misconception about how to cope with and move forward from trauma or loss is that we're just going to forget about it and avoid it. And what we know is that that oftentimes is not the most effective strategy. That's why we have therapy and different strategies for kind of working on processing that in a more helpful way so that we can move on but not forget.
3: And unfortunately, I think we see that for Davy, this is the approach she's taking, and it's not, you know, it's not working so well for her. She even says, like, well, everything's good now, so I don't have to think about that sad stuff anymore. But obviously, Mm -hmm. we see that she still is having trouble because she is, you know, irritable, she's upset, she's still having a hard time with things despite her efforts to forget
2: the other thing I really like that Dr. Ryan does in this clip is their interaction about the coyote. Yes. So I think we notice what some of us might um, have the tendency to do, which is respond in kind of a like odd way or like the what about the coyote? But then I think you see her catch herself and notice that that's a judgment she's making mm-hmm. and wanting to kind of dial it back and be a little bit, a little bit potentially more like culturally aware of you know what is the patient bringing to the table? What are some different um, factors that might be at play that could be influencing the experiences that she's having and also just not wanting to push the patient away when you have a reaction like that you know Davey even notices it and says well if you're going to be like that I'm not going to tell you and then Dr. Ryan's like no 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 this is a safe space no judgment
3: I agree 100% Dr. Fran I feel like I also you know we all notice when Dr. Ryan kind of is like what and you know Davey gets defensive and kind of scared to proceed but then I think it ends up unraveling nicely where she kind of corrects and she's open and then she you know I think a tactic that we all like try to use right is using what the patient is bringing to you like what whatever kind of things it might be if it's their um, religion their cultural background their family like other aspects that they bring to the table that can help them to cope and process things Um, and so she kind of realizes that and goes down this path talking about the coyote and sharing her emotions and processing it in this way
2: and unfortunately you know for comedic effect or (laughs) you know storyline the approaching the coyote was not very helpful unfortunately
3: I know, and that's kind of sad because it's almost like an exposure. Davy's finally, like, open to talking about what's going on. She sees the coyote. She's like, Dr. Ryan said to do it. She does it, and then it (laughs) literally backfires. She gets attacked. (laughs) So not the best experience.
2: Yeah, so maybe you can approach other things that might connect you to
3: your father, but maybe not live wild animals. Yeah, definitely not. (laughs) So as the season progresses, you know, we're seeing Davy go and see Dr. Ryan have these various discussions. Um, At one point, we also see what we call like a rupture or a disruption in the relationship between Davy and Dr. Ryan. So kind of consistent with the way Davy's been responding to her friends, her family, just kind of pushing people away, she makes a comment um, when when Dr. Ryan attempts to get her to open up about her fear of losing others related to her losing her dad um, Davy makes a comment about maybe she should just get a new therapist so she's also pushing Dr. Ryan away and Dr. Ryan you know tries to respect that and says well if that's what you really want then maybe that's what you should do Um, and of course this just kind of causes Davy to become really upset and the situation escalates and we do not see it get resolved in this session I just think it's
0: super unfair of them to stop speaking to me
1: Well, you did abandon them to do an amateur fashion show for a boy you barely even know.
0: But I said I was sorry. If women didn't accept each other's apologies, the view would grind to a halt.
1: Okay, so you want to talk about how to make it better with them? No, I don't care.
0: I'm just going to go to this party tonight and hang out with my cooler friends, like Paxton and Trent. We're more alike anyways.
1: I find it a little hard to believe that losing both your best friends isn't bothering you at all. Well, believe it, because I give zero Fs. I think you give many Fs. If that were me, I'd be scared to lose two more people that were that close to me. You're bringing it back to my dad, aren't you? I am. I'd be a bad therapist if I didn't. Davy, listen. You were so traumatized by your dad's death, you lost the use of your legs for three months. Yeah, I know. What
0: does that have to do with anything? This thing with your friends?
1: Baby girl, that's your grief. So my dad dies and suddenly my friends are bitches? Davy, you are so desperate to not feel sad. You've made your whole world about this boy. I'm a teenager. My whole world is about boys. I want you to allow yourself to acknowledge the pain you so clearly feel. So
0: you're saying I should get over my sadness by getting really sad? Why would I do that? So I can be miserable and realize the person I love the most is never, ever coming back?
1: Yes, because I think that would help you heal. Well,
0: I think I should get a different therapist.
1: And I think you might be right. What? I want the best for you. You know that. But maybe you would benefit from a different approach are you serious you're breaking up with me too oh this is not a breakup you know what this is perfect i've always
0: hated coming here so peace out see you never
2: and actually, we don't see them resolve it, I don't think, in the season. So no. I hope Dr. Ryan comes back in season two and they're able to resolve and kind of work through. You know, I think that's one thing that was a little bit hard for me to decide in that moment, what would I do if I was Dr. Ryan? It'd be very hard for me to let my patient leave, like, on those terms where she just, like, gets really upset and is like, you're leaving me like everyone else. You're breaking up with me and just storms out. Um So I would really try if I could. Obviously, if a patient just leaves, you have to respect
3: that and, you know,
2: not going to track them down. But
3: yeah. And if the fit isn't right or the strategies you're recommending aren't as beneficial, of course, we want the people we work with to, you know, go and find that better fit. Um, But it is unfortunate that it ends this way. And I'm very curious to see what happens in season two. Hopefully they bring Dr. Ryan back.
2: Yeah. We do see Dr. Ryan come back one more time for actually a session with Davy's mom. So we definitely want to spend a few minutes talking about that because I think this is a super important piece of working with adolescents, especially around trauma or shared grief.
1: So I am glad you came in today. I mean, I didn't think you were someone who believed in therapy. I don't. It's for white people. I mean, clearly there's some exceptions. I am not quite sure what to make of that, so I'm gonna ignore it. What I do wanna talk about is Davy's progress. Yeah. I'm concerned. Yeah, me too. I told her we were moving us back to India and she ran away to live with a family who apparently run their dishwasher day and night. Wait, you're moving back to India? Yeah, we have to. Davy's out of control. She needs to be in an environment that values discipline. Sure, but changing your geography won't necessarily change the problems that Davey is dealing with. Well, I'm certainly not fixing them here on my own. I know that I'm not as good as Mohan, but I am trying. You must miss him a lot. How are you handling your grief? Oh, you know what? I am not falling for this one. I'm here to talk about my daughter who wishes I were dead. I don't think that's true. That is true. She said, quote, I wish you were the one who had died. And that she didn't think I liked her. Why do you think Davy feels that way? Because I'm tough on her. I am. I know that. But it's only because I am scared. All the time. When she couldn't walk, I, um... You don't always have to be so strong. I mean... It might help her to know that you're also struggling. Come on. What good would that do, huh? Have you considered that falling apart might actually be the thing that brings your family back together?
2: So I really love this clip because I think it highlights a few really important pieces. And again, some things that Dr. Ryan does really well trying to get mom involved. Mom kind of catches on to her that she's trying to get a little bit at mom's grief. And the reason we ask questions like that is because we know that especially when a parent and child have lost the same person or have been through a traumatic event together, those reactions and those experiences they have influence each other. And so it is important for us to understand sometimes like how a parent is grieving and how that might be impacting the child and vice versa.
3: And I think it's important in this case because we see that and we've talked about how Davy's kind of like ignoring it, not wanting to talk about her dad and things like that. And that's also modeled in mom, right? There's no discussion of dad. There's no like kind of processing or um, doing anything like that together. Um, so I really like how Dr. Ryan even mentions like. I think it could be helpful for Davy to know that you're also struggling, and this could help bring you together. I think that kind of goes back to the point when I was saying like, one of the most heartbreaking pieces of the show is that they were both struggling so separately, and so kind of coming together Mm -hmm. to, to work through things.
2: Yeah, and actually, we call that grief facilitation. So, when the parent is able to help facilitate the grief in a helpful way, um, whether it's by doing things like riding the moped together, or like we do see that touching scene at the end where they go and spread the flowers or the ashes, um, you know, at the beach. So, doing those kind of things together to help facilitate the grief process can be really helpful.
3: Yeah, I think in their instance, that scene. Definitely looks like a very, like, heartwarming kind of bonding moment even. They say goodbye together. They celebrate him. Mm -hmm. It definitely seems to have, like, a positive, um, to be a positive experience for them as a family. Definitely. Um, One of the things that we see in this clip as well is – Davy's mother mentions kind. Of, uh, Davy's mother mentions that therapy is for white people, and I thought that this was an interesting topic for us to discuss today, just kind of in honor of the minority and BIPOC mental health, as we discussed. Um, but you know, this can be something that we hear or see from certain families that therapy is for a certain group of people, maybe not for other groups of people. Everyone has their own perceptions. Um, And what I really like about in this clip is the way Dr. Ryan manages that. She kind of even makes a joke um, about this perceived assumption saying like, I mean, I guess there are some exceptions and she's alluding to herself because she's a black therapist. Um, And this kind of, again, in Dr. Ryan's typical manner, uses that humor to kind of diffuse the situation, but also challenge Davy's mother's way of thinking um, to kind of see like, oh, therapy maybe for me, maybe for everyone, right? It can be helpful. And so I really like that, that part of the scene as well.
2: Yeah, I agree. I think that's a really interesting and kind of like, again, humorous, but also like informative and kind of nice interaction that we see.
3: <laughs> and so, you know, that like Dr. Fran mentioned, is the last time that we really see Dr. Ryan in therapy portrayed in this season of Never Have I Ever. And overall, this show is a coming-of-age story. So we're seeing Davy is developing her identity uh, as she's growing and maturing. And a big part of that that we see in the show is her balancing her Indian and American cultures. So we see Davy kind of making remarks, um, During the Ganesh Puja celebration, she doesn't want to wear the sari. She makes negative remarks about the Bollywood dancers or even saying she's not going to want to come back and participate in these celebrations when she's gone for college. Um, And then her friend kind of challenges that and says, like, well, I actually thought the same thing, but now I really look forward to it. And so she kind of starts to think about things. But we see this throughout the season.
2: Yeah. And I think, again, this just makes me think a lot about, like, media representation and, again, why we wanted to choose a show like this for... Um, you know, Minority and BIPOC Mental Health Awareness Month. Like, I, for example, had never heard of Ganesh Puja, and it was really cool for me to kind of learn a little bit more about that. And, um, you know, I've seen different clips and videos talking about, you know, how this is maybe – this is just one story that is being told, and this isn't representative of every Indian-American girl, um, but it gives more representation, and it's another show that's not just, you know – Showing another white teenager who has kind of that same kind of classic stereotypical backstory. It's a lot more diverse and giving you a more culturally sensitive approach.
3: Yeah, that's one of the cool things, right? You're learning about another culture. Um, and I actually saw or read an interview with Mindy Kaling, kind of to your point, Dr. Fran, where she talks about like one of the things that she's most excited about, like in this show, is that other Indian Americans get really excited. They want to watch like the Ganesh Puja episode. It's like a celebratory um, episode for their. Holiday, and she even mentioned. Um, so Mindy Killing was also a writer on The Office, one of my all time favorite shows. And she <laughs> wrote an episode about Diwali. Oh, yeah. And so she talks about how, like, you know, these two shows or these two episodes, I guess, rather, are related in that way where she gets to kind of celebrate and show pieces of her culture more broadly. And I think that's really awesome.
2: Yeah, and I think that's kind of a good transition into thinking about some of the other themes we wanted to talk about related to minority and BIPOC mental health and providers. Um, and particularly with Dr. Ryan, thinking about representation of um, Black and other people of color as psychologists. And in a lot of, as with a lot of other areas, um, individuals are highly underrepresented in psychology. Um, about 84% of psychologists in the workforce, and this is stats from 2018, were white, with much smaller percentages of Asian, Hispanic, and Black or African American or multiracial.
3: And, you know, this is important to note because it's also less diverse than the U.S. population as a whole. So, you know, even though these groups may make up the minority, we're seeing that even um, to scale, the amount of representation within the field of psychology is less than what we would expect based on the overall U.S. population, um, which is 62% Mm -hmm. white and 38% um, racial and ethnic minority groups.
2: Yeah, the good news is there is it does seem to be trending towards having a more diverse psychology workforce. Um, So of the early career psychologists, the numbers of racial and ethnic minorities is higher. So 34% was the stats from 2018. Um, So that's definitely a higher number. And we are kind of hoping that, um, you know, there's, you know, changes made and kind of different things that are going on to help increase the representation of these different groups in the psychology workforce.
3: Um, and then pertaining to um, disparities in mental health treatment, um I know we talked about this briefly in our sex education episode as well, but there are various minority groups who are less likely to seek mental health uh, services or to receive mental health services. Um, and so specifically related to never have I ever, um, there was research out of Canada looking at people of South Asian origin, and they were found to actually have the highest perceived barriers to mental health treatment. And we 85% less likely to seek treatment than those who identified as white, which is, you know, like a huge gap that we're seeing.
2: Yeah, definitely. And, you know, again, these are gen- some of these things are generalizations, but we can think that there are within some cultures different, um, you know, assumptions or stigma or stereotypes about mental health. I mean, we get one um, kind of silly, but still can be a real example with uh, Davy's mom saying, like, therapies for white people. And so that can be one of many barriers that
3: can be in the way of certain groups receiving mental health services. Definitely, within the United States, there is stigma associated with mental health, mental health treatment. Period. And then we, when we look at these um, racial and ethnic minority groups, we see that there can be even more uh, stigma associated, or just more barriers to receiving treatment. Yeah.
2: And shifting focus a little bit, we've been talking mostly about um, representation of um, racial and ethnic minorities. And, you know, one thing Dr. Sam and I love about the show is the really diverse cast. Um, so not only do we have a diverse range of racial and ethnic backgrounds, but also sexual identities and individuals with disabilities. So, for example, Paxton's sister, Rebecca, is played by Lily D. Moore. Um, and so not just to kind of throw out, July's not only Minority Mental Health Awareness Month, but also Disability Pride Month. Um, And it's an opportunity to celebrate people with disabilities and advocate for a more inclusive world. Um, So just kind of like highlighting that there's an awesome portrayal of, you know, not only a character who has Down syndrome, but also an actress who has Down syndrome herself.
3: I think that's a really nice point. And I think overall, one of the main things that like you mentioned, we love about this show is just that diverse representation. So it's so nice to see just like this range of youth coming from different backgrounds, the black therapist, you know, um, it's it's a really nice uh, and a very good change of pace, I think, from what we typically see on our TV screens. And so that really is great to see. And kind of now totally flipping, we love seeing the diversity in Never Have I Ever, but we also have some PH don'ts. <laughs>
1: This is not a safe place. Sorry. Are you, are you
3: going to like keep touching me like that? Or?
0: That guy is a total loon.
1: But I cannot talk about my clients. I cannot talk about my clients. Oh, that's it. Great. Great job, everybody. Thank
2: you. So just go, th- go for it? Yeah, go for it. You can start. Don't allow your patients to show up to your office at just random times during the day.
3: Don't say that a teenage boy is hot and ask if he is on growth hormones.
2: Don't encourage your patient to approach a wild coyote or any other wild animal for that matter.
3: (laughs) And please don't buy patients a thong or provide your patient, especially if they're a minor, with alcohol. So Dr. Sam, what are your overall thoughts on Never Have I Ever? So I'll be honest, when we first decided to do this show, it was a show like I had heard a lot of buzz about, but it hadn't necessarily caught my attention or I wasn't that excited to watch it. So I kind of went in with lower expectations than usual. Um, But I will say, I thought it was a pretty enjoyable show. Like it was funny and I actually got really caught up into it, like binge watched it in typical Netflix fashion. (laughs) Um, And I thought the characters were very... uh, not the characters, but the actors were actually just like very endearing. Like I know that a lot of them, like the main actress that plays um, Davy, she was just like discovered for this role. And I thought she was like phenomenal, like so funny, great delivery. Mm -hmm. I thought that the cast had good chemistry. So it made it really enjoyable. I know we've talked about this um, throughout the episode, but I really overall enjoyed the portrayal of therapy in this show. And I also really just loved the diversity across like all of the characters. I thought that that was really awesome to see. And Mindy, I mean, she's just, Mindy is so funny and she's such a great writer. And I think her personality and, like, you can really see, like, the love of pop culture and entertainment and those aspects of Mindy Kay coming through. So I enjoyed that, too. So overall, I think the show is a thumbs up. I would recommend it. It's definitely a fun watch.
2: What about the therapy portrayal?
3: I will say as far as TV shows go, especially Therapy with Adolescents, which is near and dear to our hearts, I thought it was really good. Like I thought Dr. Ryan did a nice job of building that relationship in a positive way, relating to a teenager, trying to set those boundaries, and also challenging and getting Davy to go there and work through things, work through things. Even when she wasn't ready, she kept trying and she kept giving good recommendations. So, you know, there are some things that obviously weren't perfect. Nobody is perfect. But I think overall the therapy portrayal, Dr. Ryan, I'd give a thumbs up for the show. What about you, Dr. Fran? What did you think about the show overall? Let's start there. Yeah,
2: so I had kind of similar thoughts about the show. It's definitely bingeable and, you know, bonus, it's Netflix and it's only 30 minutes per episode, so you can get through it very quickly. Super fast. Um, You know, there were some things about the show, like some of the dialogue and some of the ways that the characters talk to each other or things like that, that were a little problematic that I just want to kind of like acknowledge that there were some things about the show that I'm hoping they can learn from and improve on for season two. But overall, I think, um, you know, it's cute, it's endearing, like Dr. Dr. Sam said, it's entertaining. I mean, You know, I was invested enough that it was hard to watch at times because I was like, oh my gosh, Davey, like, don't, yeah. don't do that. Like, don't make so many, you know, don't ruin the relationship with your friends or the therapist or different things like that. Um, and also <laughs> just to throw out there for anyone else who um, may have been concerned that they found Paxton attractive and were worried <laughs> that he was a teenager. He is in his late 20s, guys, so... <laughs>
3: You you know, though, since you cover, you bring up Paxton's age, I will say one of the things I liked about it and that I think you were kind of mentioning is that especially working with teens, when I watched the show, I actually thought it was believable. I'm like, yes, teens act and talk like this, whereas some of those mm-hmm. other shows that are supposed to be teenagers, it doesn't seem realistic at all. So this one I did feel like yeah. you were watching teenagers, you know?
2: Yeah, I would agree with that, except Paxton, very except clearly, Paxton. way older. <laughs>
3: Yeah, from the second he stepped out of the pool, I remember even making a comment to the person I was watching the show with. I was like, wait, he looks way older than like Davy and the other characters. Um, Who are actually 18. Yeah, (laughs) that makes sense. So enough about Paxton. Uh, Dr. Fran, what did you think about the um, Dr. Ryan's therapy portrayal overall?
2: Um, Again, I also really liked it. I thought it gave us a lot of really good things to talk about. I think it was very accurate. We didn't talk much about this, but even just the office setup Mm -hmm. is like pretty accurate in terms of what a therapy office could look like. Um, It wasn't, you know, on the one end of the spectrum being super lavish or crazy and not on the other end being, you know, very drab and clinical so I think overall a pretty realistic portrayal a lot of really good strategies that she Mm -hmm. used and an opportunity to talk about some good topics
3: I agree and I think we um, mentioned this in the beginning I think it was also a cool uh, portrayal of diverse diagnoses as well so you know that traumatic grief Mm -hmm. the PTSD the conversion disorder I thought that those were all nice aspects as well yeah All right. well sessions over for never have I ever As always, please let us know your thoughts on the show. We'd also love to hear what questions you have about psychology and what movies or shows you want us to put on the couch and break down next.
2: Don't forget to check out our website, FreudianScripts.com, for additional information. Find and follow us on social media. And as always, please subscribe, rate, and review.
3: Time's up. See you next session. We'd like to thank our producer, Brandon, our creative director, Eric, and webmaster, Don.